The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 637 for August 26th, 2018. Public safety data throttling, Fitbit announces the Charge 3, and putting your phone number on vacation mode. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast application, available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. Well, first in the news, the attorneys general from 22 states plus the District of Columbia have asked an appeals court to reinstate the Obama-era net neutrality rules that were removed from the FCC, by the FCC, that is, in June. Along with the request, the group also wants to ensure the Trump administration cannot prevent individual states from installing their own such rules. In addition to these 22 states, a handful of companies have also filed their own lawsuits seeking to overturn the FCC's action. Uh, not a lot new here. Uh, obviously, we've been talking about it for a while. Uh, but uh, the, the fact that you've now got just about half of the states that are asking uh, for the reinstatement of these rules uh, is the notable piece here. Next, Qualcomm on Wednesday said its next flagship mobile platform will be a system on a chip built using the 7 nanometer process. More, the system on a chip can be paired with Qualcomm's Snapdragon X50 5G modem. Combined, the 7 nanometer uh, SoC and the X50 will help phone makers create the first wave of flagship 5G devices. Qualcomm says this combo will usher in more intuitive on-device AI while also delivering raw power balanced with good battery life. Qualcomm is sampling the mobile platform to its phone maker customers as they prepare next generation devices. Qualcomm says the details of the new system on a chip will be announced during the fourth quarter of the year. So we're uh, talking fourth quarter of this year, which means then we won't see these devices till probably mid to late next year, I would imagine, because you know the design time and uh, of course getting the production actually ramped up definitely takes time. Yeah, it's going to take some time. But now, I, th- I think this is the, um, uh, you know, the actual um, sampling of the, the chips is going to be going to their customers. So I think they're, they're obviously have the specs themselves right now. And so they're able to, you know, kind of design if they if you will, uh, to what this is going to look like. And then ultimately they drop it in and then they're ready to, to start testing. But um, it, it's a minimum uh, of, you know, probably three months. But you're right, it's probably more like six to nine months, which is to say mid to late next year. So we'll uh, we'll continue to watch that. Um, the 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 real I think uh, you know decision point here on how this is going to take off is going to be um, what happens at CES next year because you've got so many devices that get announced then, and it's not necessarily flagships, but you see um, you know a lot of hardware that gets released, and and especially the makers, um, you know the 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 component makers are out there and they're talking a lot about things, and so uh, you're kind of feeling like uh, t- CES 2019 is going to be all about 5G and it's it's again it's going to be the, that turning point to say whether or not 2019 is the year that that takes off or it's going to take another year. That could be uh, the case there because obviously they want something to talk about, something new and exciting and there hasn't been a lot of course uh, in this industry right now that's new and exciting. Yeah, the waning of a technology and the impending uh, arrival of another just a it's a the kind of the uh, you know the fall if you will of a uh, of a technology and so we're uh, of the technologies and so we're just waiting to see. Next up, Verizon uh, recently throttled data being used by the Santa Clara, California Fire Department while it was in the midst of fighting wildfires. This according to Ars Technica, and the report says that Santa Clara County Fire Chief Anthony Bowden 
uh, said that the department had paid for an unlimited data plan on Verizon, but the speeds were heavily throttled while it was combating the still ongoing Mendocino complex fire until the department had paid more money for an upgraded unlimited plan. Verizon's data throttling policies affected OES 5262, which is a fire vehicle with a Verizon SIM card responsible for acting as the command and control resource for the rapid deployment and organization of thousands of personnel and hundreds of fire engines, aircraft, and bulldozers. Data speeds, they say, were reduced to one two hundredth of the LTE speeds, interfering with the vehicle's ability to function effectively. Santa Clara Fire communicated with Verizon via email about the throttling and requested that it be immediately lifted for public safety purposes. Verizon staff, however, said that the fire department uh, would need to update to a new plan before the service could be restored. So Verizon confirmed the throttling, but rather than restoring uh, the essential data transfer speeds, uh, they indicated that County Fire would have to switch to this new plan, as we said, and that they would only remove the throttling after uh, the county uh, representatives have contacted Verizon. Uh, Ars Technica points out that even when net neutrality rules were in effect, carriers did impose throttling during times of network congestion. The, the fire department, however, says that uh, this was they were throttled at all times and not just at peak congestion once their vehicle's 25 gigabyte data limit was exceeded. Now, net neutrality rules also allowed for Internet users to file complaints for unjust or unreasonable prices or practices, but the complaints option has been eliminated, giving Santa Clara no options for contacting the FCC over Verizon's practices. Bowden said that Verizon's throttling had a significant impact on the department's ability to provide emergency services. The Mendocino fire was not only uh, was also not the only time <clears throat> the throttling limited fire services happen. Uh, other incidents had also occurred back in December and in June. Now, um, Bowden uh, said that the uh, the fire department believes Verizon is going to continue uh, to to keep these practices in case. And so after a long series of emails with Verizon, the fire department was ultimately required to purchase a data plan for ninety nine dollars a month for the first 20 gigs of data and eight gigs of data per sorry, eight gigs of data uh, thereafter uh, for to avoid throttling during emergencies. Uh, Verizon did respond to the story and said that they should not have throttled the department's use and in, is revisiting the practices so that they can rate, uh, relate uh, the fire and safety services and regulate them differently. Uh, but the story didn't end there. So members of Congress have stepped in and they now want the FTC to investigate the throttling practices after uh, it was revealed uh, that uh, all of this was going on. So one of the fire companies said the unlimited data plan um, was again, so Verizon, of course, we know this had removed, refused to remove the speed cap uh, until they had paid to upgrade the plan. Uh, and now Democratic minority leader Nancy Pelosi is asking what happened, saying the FTC must investigate whether Verizon and other communication companies are being unfair and deceptive in the services they're offering to public safety entities. And if so, determining what remedies were appropriate to ensure that they have the adequate service when lives are on the line. Of course, uh, Verizon said, you know, they're going to be looking into this. Uh, and in the event of another disaster, they have come out and said that they will lift restrictions on public safety customers to provide full network access. Um, that is on their website now. The company still has uh, plans to offer new unlimited plans to first responders as soon as this coming week. Yeah, and it's a, such a shame that it's taken a crisis like this for this to come to light. But it's also highly disappointing that this hasn't been investigated sooner. And of course, uh, that the uh, the Congress isn't looking at to protect us, the end user, the consumer who are getting sold these 
uh, I want to use a bunch of expletives, uh, unlimited plans that aren't unlimited. It's it's a joke. It's a complete joke. We've we've had this years ago, Mickey, that they were claimed unlimited plans, and now they're back again. And this is a super frustrating because you it's not unlimited. It's not what the definition of the word unlimited is. Uh, yes, I know it's throttled and it still works, so hence it's unlimited, but it's not the case. And this is a perfect example of why selling something like this is it's a it's a bait and switch and in in invalid advertising and all kinds of things that should not be allowed. So in the event of the current um, you know domestic crises that are occurring as we speak on the west coast with fires in Hawaii uh, with Hurricane Lane, uh, Verizon has said that they've removed uh, the caps for first responders in those cases. But that's just first responders. So if you happen to be in one of these areas and you happen to be relying on your connection, to your point, uh, you are still under uh, the uh, the restrictions that they have put in place and you can use a, a certain amount of data before you start to get throttled. And in the event that you don't have landline service, you don't have you know power to run that landline service even, uh, you're going to be out of luck. You're going to be able to use it up until a certain point and then you're going to be throttled. So um, it's, it, it is definitely frustrating or will be frustrating for people in those situations. Uh, yes, public safety customers, that's a great first step, but uh, still a long way to go here. Uh, and just the way that uh, things have gone, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Uh, and I don't see any changes to the net neutrality rollback uh, changing either, which is one and the same that there's really going to be little that we can do as customers, except for keep talking about it, keep reporting about it and keep staying on top of it to make sure we understand what's going on in these situations. Right. And now since we can't complain to the FCC, we have to now go to the FTC to complain about uh, their advertising practices. And that's about all we can do. Yep. And that's that's exactly right. Speaking of, the FCC has denied a petition to stop the informal 180 day clock as it analyzes T-Mobile's proposed acquisition of Sprint. A number of organizations sought to stop the clock and delay the proceedings. Some of those in question include the Communication Workers Union of America, Rural Wireless Association, Public Knowledge, Free Press, and others. They argue T-Mobile and Sprint haven't provided enough information about how much spectrum the combined entity will control and that the information the two have submitted was not the proper format. T-Mobile and Sprint argued that all the information has been available since June and that the organizations reviewing that material can reformat however they wish. The FCC sided with Sprint and T-Mobile denying the motion. The agency's review of the transaction will move forward with the original dates. Petitions to deny current to deny currently are due tomorrow, Monday, August 27th. T-Mobile starting to inform customers this week that a security breach may have exposed some of their personal data. Approximately 2.3 million customers of T-Mobile's postpaid and MetroPCS's prepaid services were accessed without permission back on August 20th, and uh, T-Mobile subsequently shut down that operation. T-Mobile says credit card numbers, social security numbers, and passwords were not involved, but names, addresses, phone numbers, email addresses, and account numbers were. T-Mobile apologized for the breach and told customers that they can contact the company to learn more. Uh, also, two different security flaws affecting the customers of both AT&T and T-Mobile were revealed this week. The security gaps could have given hackers access to customer account pins, which could ultimately allow them to ha hijack a customer's SIM card. AT&T customers were left vulnerable by their insurance provider 
uh, Assyrian. Uh, when initiating claims through Assyrian's website, hackers could have gleaned pins through a form that failed to have a limit on the number of attempts to enter the pin correctly. This opened the door for brute force attacks. Now, T-Mobile's customers were left vulnerable by an Apple Store app on the iPhone. Uh, the issue left the opening on a web page that bridged the Apple Store to T-Mobile's account verification system. Similar to the Assyrian issue, Apple's the Apple Store did not place a limit on the number of attempts for a pin entry. This also permitted a brute force attack to guess that number. Uh, uh, both Assyrian and Apple resolved the lapses before they were brought to their attention. The T-Mobile vulnerability left approximately 77 million customers exposed. The number of customers impacted by AT&T is not known. Of course, SIM hijacking is uh, a rising issue uh, where you've got the ability for a hacker to take over uh, the the control of a phone number and uh, basically clone a phone in order to uh, get things like SMS uh, for two-factor authentication uh, and then ultimately get into other accounts and uh, steal additional information. Sprint this week announcing the return of its promotional Kickstart deal. This offer gives customers unlimited data, talk, and text for $25 per line. To qualify, customers need to switch to Sprint, bring their own phone, or buy a new phone outright. That deal will be available starting uh, this past Friday and will run for a limited time. And finally in the news, uh, the hits just keep on coming for Huawei. Australia has now banned Huawei from supplying equipment for future 5G mobile networks. Citing that Huawei poses a threat to its national security, Huawei says, uh, of course, though, China-based ZTE is also being prevented from supplying the 5G networking gear to the Australian wireless companies. Australia's move mirrors the stance by the U.S., uh, which has barred Huawei and ZTE from providing equipment for wireless networks. The U.S. has gone further by mandating that government employees do not use phones made by Huawei or ZTE. In device news, just one story. Fitbit on Monday announcing the Charge 3. This is a fitness tracker with a larger screen and smartwatch-like features. The Charge 3 can automatically recognize a number of activities such as runs, walks, and bike rides, and it tracks more than 15 different goal-oriented exercises. The Charge 3 is waterproof to 50 meters, making it a great option for swimmers, and it also tracks sleep patterns and female health for more complete pictures of a person's well-being. The Charge 3 has a handful of apps, including a calendar, the weather, and Fitbit Pay. The wearable integrates with the owner's Android or iPhone uh, to provide incoming calls and message alerts, and it can also be used to send quick message replies to other Android devices. Other features include a larger, sharper touchscreen, aluminum design with Gorilla Glass 3, and up to seven-day battery life. The Charge 3 comes in various sizes, is $150, and available for pre-order on Fitbit.com. So basically, it's kind of replacing a smartwatch, really. It's kind of a, it, it's a, a smartwatch alternative that uh, looks like a fitness tracker. And it, it's kind of a, it's neat that there's still an option for it. Of course, uh, Fitbit bought out Pebble, which was one of the really first uh, smartwatches out there. And it's kind of interesting to see there's still a lot of people with Fitbits on. Uh, you know, the, the usage has declined a little bit from what I see out there, but there's still a lot of people with those. Yeah, I had one for a while and I actually wore it at the same time as the Apple Watch just to kind of track and see, you know, what the differences would be. And, um, you know, largely they, they report similar, though never completely similar, you know, or completely the same information. Uh, but it, it's, of course, excessive and redundant and anything like that ultimately will simplify itself. It just kind of works out that way. And so for many, you know, customers who are using Fitbits, you're right. They've, they've chosen to go uh, to a different type of uh, device. The nice thing about something like the Charge 3 here is not only does it you know provide you that information about your incoming calls and texts, which is something that Fitbits have done for a while, 
Uh, but also it does, it adds in a few additional items here. Obviously tracking sleep is an important one. That's something that Fitbit has excelled at for uh, quite a while. Uh, and sounds like you can add in some additional information uh, to it as well. And as it's pointed out, to have a com- more complete picture of your well-being. Um, great, uh, you know, to see, you know, them continue to release these devices and especially if you're an Apple customer, you really only have one choice uh, when it comes to first-party stuff, and that's the Apple Watch. And if that's not something that you're interested in, you've got to go and get something else. Fitbit is probably the next best way to go here. So, again, nice to see, uh, and especially for about half the price of an Apple Watch, Fitbit offering this new option. In software news, Costco this week became the latest retailer to roll out Apple Pay to its customers. All 750 of Costco's U.S. stores now accept Apple Pay at the register. After a testing period at a a number of smaller stores earlier this year, Costco is uh, rolling it out uh, to every single one of its locations. They're also working to bring Apple Pay to its store-based gas stations, too, but only gone live in a few locations with that. Costco members can now use Apple Pay, Google Wallet, and Samsung Pay at U.S. Costco locations. It will arrive at CVS and 7-Eleven stores later this year. So Apple Pay usage, it's it's nice to see it, you know, appearing slowly in more more and more locations. I do have to comment, though, we've got, uh, you know, some uh, gas stations around here that do have NFC readers on there. And it's really nice to be able to quick pay for the, the fuel with your watch while you're fumbling around with the gas pump and doing all that stuff because it's it's really nice for that. In the winter, when it's freezing cold, you don't have to try to get the credit card out of your wallet, out of your pocket, underneath this big, huge coat to get the credit card to stick in the gas pump. I really uh, think that's a great way to go. Interesting that you bring that up. I was at a Shell station today. It had an NFC reader on it, and I used my watch, and the transaction was declined. Now, I have no idea why that happened. I tried it again. It was declined again. I pulled out my credit card, and it worked just fine. So not sure what happened there. So I'm having trouble as well with Discover Card, which works everywhere else except for this particular gas station's uh, readers. It doesn't like the Discover Card, but if I switch to one of the MasterCards or American Express, it works fine. Hmm. Interesting. I probably could have tried a different card, but after doing it twice, I said, I don't really care that much, and it's 85 degrees. I not going to worry about pulling out a wallet. So anyway, I, I moved on from that, but it is nice to see. And I, I do agree with you. The convenience of it is there. Anytime I ever see uh, the symbol, I use it every single time. I think it's fantastic. Uh, Android uh, software news version 8.7 of the Gmail app for Android has added the new undo feature, similar to the one that appears on the desktop version of Gmail. So for several seconds after sending in email, users can recall the message by pressing the new undo button that appears in the lower right corner of the app. It provides about four to five seconds of time to recall emails. Uh, Gmail for Android is free to download. Uh, and that update again, version 8.7. Google on Tuesday unveiled a new version of Google Fit, its fitness tracking application for Android. Uh, Google says the revised app focuses on two activity goal based goals based on recommendations made by the American Heart Association and the World Heart Association, Health Association. Uh, so the idea is to help people increase both their heart rate and daily movement through heart points and move minutes. Google says the app will give people one point for each minute of moderate activity, such as quick walking, and two points for intense workouts, such as jogs or bike rides. 
Google says most people can reach their heart rate and movement goals within 30 minutes of brisk walking for five days a week. Google Fit can automatically detect a number of activities such as walking, running, biking, and using either an Android phone or Android Wear OS watch with their embedded sensors. People can manually initiate other activities such as rowing or spinning. Google will calculate the heart points and move minutes earned for each activity and tally them up throughout the week. It can play nicely with third-party fitness apps including Strava, RunKeeper, and Endemondo, uh, so people can earn credit for all their activities. Over time, Google Fit will offer tips on how to adjust goals and work out better. Google says the new fitness, uh, Google Fit for uh, Android, is rolling out to phones and watches this week. And finally, in software, Microsoft on Monday said that it will cease accepting new apps for Windows Phone 8.x or 8.1 applications on October 31st. Further, it will stop pushing out updates to applications for Windows Phone 8.x starting July 1st of 2019, and we'll stop pushing out updates for Windows Phone 8 and 8.1 on July 1st, 2023. Microsoft asked developers to consider updating to the Windows 10 platform. Well, one question this week uh, comes from Matt, and he says, Mickey and Joey, my father and mother-in-law are going to be leaving the country for a year. I'm trying to figure out the best way to keep their phone numbers so they can use them again when they get back. I'm thinking the best option may be Google Voice. Is it possible to port from Verizon to Google Voice and just let the numbers sit there for a year and then port them back to Verizon when they get back? I'm not very familiar with Google Voice, uh, so I'm not sure if this will work. Are there any other options for reserving their phone numbers that I'm not thinking of? Thanks for the show. Look forward to it every week, Matt. So, uh, Matt, it's interesting. Before I even really got into reading your entire uh, you know, email, the first thing I saw was that they were going to be leaving the, the country for a year. And I saw the word phone number and I thought Google Voice, the exact first thing that I thought. So um, it's very easy to do. It's a great way to keep the numbers alive. Um, and, uh, it, and they can actually also use the numbers when they're overseas as well. So, um, if you look it up, I think it's still, at least it used to be to port a number into Google voice is $3 to port a number out of Google voice is $20. So you're not talking about a lot of money. And especially when you're talking about the, the cost of what it would uh, be to have a, a phone plan for an entire year, it's, it's a very small amount. And so it, uh, it absolutely, I think is, is a very economical way. Uh, to to do this and to save the numbers while they're out of town, right? Because like for me, the for the cheapest possible phone plan I'm thinking of is like a track phone, uh, but you have to keep those active. So uh, you have to spend about twenty bucks every ninety days. Uh, so you'd be still looking at a whole bunch of money to keep the most basic uh, phone service going to keep the phone number active. Um, Verizon, you can do vacation, but you can only do a maximum of like two months. So one year is not going to do you any good uh, without billing uh, for Verizon. So I think that's probably the, the best way to go. So think about this a little bit more for them as well, Matt. So when it comes to obviously the, the things that they could use it for, as soon as you get that phone number over to Google, you can immediately start using uh, the you go to google.com or voice.google.com and you can start making phone calls uh, directly uh, over the internet or on the internet through that phone number so the phone number will still show up as normal um, if they've got a smartphone they can download the hangouts application and any phone calls can come through and run over the data connection 
through the Hangouts application so they can still uh, receive phone calls. Of course, if you're in the, the Hangouts application, you can dial a phone number and make a call out that way. Uh, and of course, there is the Google Voice application itself, which will allow for texting. So they can still send and receive text messages just like they were before. The only minor difference is that if they're iPhone us users, uh, the number is going to show up as an SMS because it's going to be sent as an SMS versus an iMessage. Um, the other big advantage is, um, especially if they're not forwarding that phone number or they decide that they don't want to um, utilize the phone number uh, on a regular basis, um, they you once you get the phone into Google Voice, uh, you can set it up with the voicemail in Google Voice, and then all of your voicemails are stored online, and you can access them from anywhere as well. So, um, you know, frankly, they might like the setup so much that when they move back, they might not actually decide to move that number out of Google Voice. They might just grab another, you know, just kind of generic number and then forward phone calls over to it. But uh, it, it is absolutely, I think, in my opinion, the right way to go for for the situation. Yeah, and if you have a, an Android phone, I know it's much easier to use a Google Voice number, if I remember correctly. And then also, uh, you know, Sprint used to have the integration, but they have now uh, disabled that, which was really nice back in the day. And just to clarify, it's $20 to get your Google, your uh, number ported into Google and $3 out. Oh, it's three. Okay, got it. So um, the anyway, either way, it's it's twenty three dollars, and uh, it's it's a, a again a very small amount of money to pay. Uh, you know, to uh, to be able to utilize it and uh, to keep going with it. So I, I think that's absolutely the best way to go. And uh, good luck with that in the process. Of course, you got to make sure you're not under a contract or have any outstanding balances of due with uh, uh, with your carrier. So keep that in mind before you start doing any of the port outs of these numbers. If you have any questions or comments for us, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call 650-999-0524, which you guessed it is a Google Voice number, or send us email to questions at the cell phone junkie dot com and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show joey thank you very much as always for your time we'll talk to you later thanks for listening for more information about the stories you've just heard visit us at the cell phone junkie dot com